I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Chiswick Fung, and you're listening to Story Partner. And welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with Canadian champion Kismet Fung about the joy of problem solving, matters of style, and the importance of having fun, as well as hearing her top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, Jocelyn. Hi, Catherine. How are you? Oh, I'm great, thanks. How's your week been? It's going well, although I had quite a disaster at the table last night. And I, of course, thought, "Mm, I'm going to have to fess up to Catherine tomorrow and tell her all about it. What happened? Well, I did one of my aggressive, shall we say, preempts at the three level with only a six-card suit, six high-card point, no aces. And my partner boosted me to the four level with two points in her hand. So needless to say, the opponents had all the points. Down five, doubled for 1,100 and a bottom, absolute. But... That was the vulnerability, though. We were not vulnerable, but neither were they. Okay. They do have a grand on, but I don't think they're ever going to bid it. Did anyone find it? Nobody found it. A lot of people found the six, uh, the small slam, either six spades or six no trump, but still our 1100 was worse. But Mm -hmm. I do think there's, it's a really interesting concept to me, what Andrew said in a lesson about just being aware that when you preempt, there could be a downside. Perhaps if you hadn't preempted, an opponent would hold back from pursuing a slam because they're going to worry about that suit. They don't know that they're partner is void but once they know that we have a fit they're going to know their partner is void or has a shortage and they're not just not going to worry about that suit and they're you know they can just forget about the 10 points 
in that suit and, and play with a 30-point deck. So I just thought that was a good illustration. I think I'm still going to be preempting <laughs> just the same way yeah. as ever. But it's a good uh, it's a good consideration that I would not have thought about perhaps before Andrew brought that up. So anyway, I learned something, maybe. <laughs> well, it's interesting because it your experience, it really it plays in a little bit to um, what I've been thinking about this week because one of my partners read Maria Konnikova's book, The Biggest Bluff, on my recommendation, and I know you've read it too, and one of the things she talks about is you can't play scared. And, and so now he, he regularly tells me that I can't play scared. And, and that's because I think I do play scared. And so I really set a challenge for myself this week to not play scared. And it was interesting. It often comes up for me, I think, in no Trump when I'm not confident that our joint holding really covers all the suits. And so I had a hand, I was a 3127 shape with 15 high card points. And I opened one club and my partner bit a heart. And then I bid three clubs and my partner bid three diamonds. And, you know, I have a singleton heart. My partner's bid the suit, but I don't know what they've got. Anyway, I, I was quite proud of myself. I bid three no Trump, even though I didn't have the diamonds or the hearts covered. And it worked out. And I just thought, oh, it was a nice feedback loop to just remember to bid the hands properly and, and not outthink myself. I had another one where... In ways it wasn't dissimilar, my partner opened a club and I had 13 points and I, I bid a diamond and the ops overcalled a spade and my partner passed. And then my right-hand opponent raised to two spades and I had the ace and king of spades. And so I had 13 points, I had the opponent's suits covered. And so I bid three no trump, even though I had four terrible little hearts and empty clubs. And I went off one and double dummy says it should go off one. But I was pleased because I felt it was the right bid even though it didn't work out. And it's just so important, I think, to try and play technically correctly. Even though it went off, I know it was the right bid and I was just proud of myself for not playing scared and staying in the spirit of that challenge that I'd set myself. Well, that's great. I think that also goes hand in hand with not getting pushed around. Yes. It's maybe a compliment, but sometimes you you let the opponents push you around too much or not you, but one does. And I think as we've been talking to our teacher about, it is very important not to get pushed around and just take out that double card and whack them. I think you're absolutely right. And part of that is is the confidence of experience and, and making that conscious choice to stand up for yourself at the table. So Jocelyn, we've had some mail. Would you like me to read you a letter? Oh, that would be great. Okay, so this letter is from George in Melbourne, and George is a bridge director, and he says, Two unfamiliar women turned up to my club for a duplicate session. About halfway through the session, one of the regular players came up to me and said, These ladies have a strange bidding system. East opened three clubs, West bid four clubs, East bid four no trump, and then it went pass, 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 and she made four no trump. I was a bit apprehensive to ask visitors about their system, but my curiosity got the better of me. At the end of the round, I approached the Forno Trump bidder and asked her politely what she meant by her three-club opening bid. She said she'd only been playing bridge for a few months and had never had a hand before with 30 points. I thought it was too strong to open two clubs, she said, so I opened three clubs. Since that day, every time I open three clubs, I preface it with a comment. 
It's stronger than two clubs. <laughs> I always get a laugh out of the opponents. That That's too cute. Oh, my goodness. It is cute. That's like that. There's like some trope that goes around about how somebody was in one no Trump, but they were doubled. So they ran to two no Trump. When asked <laughs> about it, they were they said something about, well, you know, one no Trump is the hardest contract to, to play in. <laughs> <laughs> so two no Trump is going to be better. <laughs> but I, I don't know how how true that story is. <laughs> but it does also remind me at one point I was on a frenzy to try to recruit people to play. And so I was teaching all my friends to play bridge. And we were having a lovely evening. Literally like two hours in, one of my students, who a friend, said, Oh, you mean the Clovers? <laughs> she didn't know. The whole time I was talking about clubs, spades, diamonds and hearts, two hours in. <laughs> I've got a friend whose husband um, was really interested in her, her passion for bridge, but he, he didn't know how to play, but he, he insisted on coming to watch her play at a tournament. It was a national tournament and he sat there like through a whole afternoon watching and at the end of the tournament, he said, um, what's the green card mean? <laughs> I certainly don't know. <laughs> he must have been in the doghouse for something because he obviously had no idea what was going on. <laughs> well, a lot of people would say that I probably need to learn more about that green card than I do. No, it is funny. But when you put yourself in the in the situation of someone who's just starting out, I mean, I remember all these things that were so confounding to me, you know, from limit raise. Well, that sounded so weak, you know, a limit raise. I mean, what could be, it was so limiting. It was, it was bad, but in actuality, it turned out it was actually a, a pretty decent raise, better than others. And, you know, oh my God. Yeah. One of my first trips to the club, I got paired up with this man who was quite an expert, but he was a bit of a monster and dumb, so no one wanted to play with him. <laughs> Which is what always happens when you turn up to a club. But um, I remember him very patiently explaining to me the meaning of a rough and a sloth because clearly I've been (laughs) giving the opponents one rough and sloth after another. I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) And you're like, which one is good, rough or sloth? If you have a story about misunderstood conventions or bidding confusion or really any fun or interesting bridge story, send it to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or leave us a voice message. The link is in the show notes. Coming up next, our interview with Kismet Fung. Kismet Fung was four years old when her father taught her to play. She couldn't count to 20, but she could hold her cards. She has since gone on to win four Canadian women's team championships and two world championship silver medals. She began by sharing her first memory of the game. So I was playing cards at a very, very young age. Poker and fish and war and my parents played kitchen table bridge. So I remember my father sitting me down and I can't have been more than four years old. It's like aces are worth four and kings are worth three. 
and actually having me play out hands, if not bid them. Could you hold them? And I would hold the cards. I would be four years old holding the cards. Very much so. You could hold the card. <laughs> but I mean, I wasn't really playing bridge, but I knew aces were worth four and kings were worth three. And I mean, I, I could barely count, but I knew that much. So then my girlfriends and I, when I, when we were in university, would play cards every weekend. And then once we graduated, we decided, hey, there's a bridge club. So we, my girlfriend and I went to the local bridge club and said, well, let's try this out. And the novice game was on Thursday nights. We had never taken lessons. We had sort of self-taught. We had no clue what we were doing and we just had a blast. You know, we were, we were in our young early twenties and we were just having a great time. And then once I got to the club, it was just, you couldn't stop me after that. What is it that you most love about bridge? As I said, I've played all of the card games, but none of them come close to bridge in terms of the, the problem solving. It just doesn't compare to any other card game. Many card games you play on rote, you follow suit, you take a few tricks. But bridge really have that extra kick to it about problem solving. And I am a problem solver. I just love problem solving. Are there any aspects of the game that you find particularly challenging? Defense. Defense is by far the toughest part of the game because you and your partner really have to be in sync. Declare play, you are by yourself. You don't have to mesh with anything. Defense, if you and your partner cannot be on the same wavelength, it's a partnership destined to fail. So there's a lot of effort that goes into getting onto that same wavelength, I imagine. Not necessarily. Sometimes it comes. Sometimes when you sit down and you've never played with somebody, you just are on the same wavelength. It's like this person read all of the books I read. You know, we should be married. This is just so perfect. <laughs> what do you think your particular strength is in the game? I have always wanted to problem solve. I have always wanted to use logic, take all of the facts, like just input them all and spit out the best result. And I do that in life. I do that in my career. And I love that about Bridge. You're also a fan of live theatre. So how do you reconcile those two interests? Because live theatre is far from logical. Live theatre is my escape. It, it's something that uh, I had no musical background in it and I have always loved. And yeah. Do you perform any live theatre or just sit in the audience? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. I have zero artistic ability. I was always given the scientific logical side and my artistic brain, it just doesn't function. You know, I, I was, I, I forgot to get in line when they were dealing out art, artistic genes. <laughs> I missed that lineup. <laughs> but but pe people often talk about bridge as a, as a combination between art and science, that it's one thing to know how to play, but you also have to have an ability to, you know, read the tea leaves, to understand the nuances. There is an art to the game. There is an art to the game. And I find that that is not my strength, okay. is that art. My strength is the science, and I prefer the science. And, and I succeed better with the science. Would you say that this comes out in terms of table feel, or can you glean? No, table feel I don't think is an art. Okay. Table feel 
is part of the science. I think there's a science to table feel. There might also be an art, but there is a science to table feel. Can you talk more about that? I, I guess there's an old bridge expression of know your customers. And so who's on my left? Who's on my right? What can I get away with? Would this person normally fidget? Is this person a fidgeter? That type of understanding of, of know your customers. And do you consciously find yourself evaluating your opposition in that way? I think you evaluate who's across the table from you or beside you all the time in life and in bridge. But you're looking for different things when you're playing against them in bridge, as opposed to if you're sitting down with them to dinner. You're always in some way evaluating the people around you. I mean, when you bite your tongue because you're not going to say something, it's because you think the person beside you may be offended, right? Indoor voice, outdoor voice. Who, who can I speak on my indoor? Who must I speak on my indoor voice with? And who should I maybe only speak, you know, a certain way? Can you think of a time when you were aware that you had understood something about your opponents and that led to a decision that you made at the table? I think all the time when you, when, when there's, when there's hesitation, you always say, why is there hesitation? You find a lot of queens, you find a lot of kings. There are people who are fantastically good at it, but I think everybody to some extent does it. And then you, you also see that some people always hesitate. So you have to sort of discern that that is not a, this person always hesitates, hesitation. But yes, I, I think you do that in every game. Every time you sit at the table, you're wondering, why did that person hesitate? Have you ever knowingly played against someone who's deliberately used that against you, that they're, they're creating a hesitation, they're implying a problem? I like to think that most of the bridge I play is rubber bridge for money and mostly with my friends. I'd like to think that they don't. I, I think that there are people who knowingly do that. Absolutely. And there are those who will, for that reason, always take their time. Yeah. Yeah. We were hoping to ask you about your best and worst board of the week. I wanted to say that I have been um, doing commentary for the U.S. ladies finals, their team trials. So I haven't played a lot of bridge this week, but really the most interesting board of the week came from that. Okay. The particular board in question is a difficult hand and it was a matter of style. And I want to say at a very high elite level, there were pairs that stopped in two clubs making, pairs that were in three no trump making, and pairs that were in six diamonds making. Vulnerable. Wow. All on the same, the same side. All on the same board. And it was based on one hand and the style you use of bidding that one hand. And I wanted to give you that one hand because I certainly was with the commentators on this. And the hand is three spades to the king, queen of hearts, single tip, ace, ten, six, two of, uh, diamonds, ace, king, ten, fifth of clubs. So this is a 16-point hand, and it is traditionally one of the most difficult hands to bid because you have four diamonds and five clubs. So some people 
elect to open it one diamond because they don't feel they have enough to reverse. Right. Some people opt to open it one club. You lose the diamond suit and you really are stuck for a rebid because you can't really rebid one no trump. What was responder's bid? So responder would, would bid one heart in most systems. Not in all systems, in most systems. And then, so if you re- choose to rebid two clubs, not unreasonable, you play it there. Thus, you have those playing it in two clubs. If you choose to reverse this hat, which I chose to do, which I had said to the commentators, and I was alone amongst the panel in choosing to reverse this hand. So a club, partner, bit of heart, I bit two diamonds. Partner now comes alive with three diamonds. So now, which in most reverse system is a positive hand. Otherwise, there are many artificial steps along to, so that you can sign out in diamonds. So three diamonds over two diamonds is now very forward going. And so you will either get to three no trump, probably not six diamonds, probably only five diamonds, which is fantastic little contract, both of those. Kudos to the people who were playing a strong club system. And they were the ones who got to six diamonds because now responder who has the king jack fifth of diamonds and an outside eighth, and that is the entirety of responder's hand will come alive over opposite of one club and tell you, oh, I have a five-card diamond suit and I have three controls and I have a variety of things. So I thought that this was certainly the most interesting bit and it just goes to show how many disagreements and how many styles can happen in bridge. I have many hands that I could say that are very esoteric where I, I made a unilateral decision without my partner and I shouldn't have. And that happens all the time in bridge. And I'm saying sorry, partner. But it certainly wasn't as interesting as I thought this particular hand was. And I he, here I am having to justify to my fellow commentators why I would reverse it and why uh, my style of reverse can show less. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I think it, it, what's interesting about it is that it captures how divergent your end result could be based on whether you play a precision strong club or whether you deem this hand good enough to reverse because of the aces and kings or what if somebody were to open it one no trump and that was exactly what the panel said there are many who would choose to open it one no trump now, the rules about that have changed significantly. Right. In the past, you could not have an agreement with your partner, which showed shortness right. in a suit. Right. And I don't know where the rules are today. And that was part of the debate, because then you avoid all of your legal problems. And then you get to say to your partner, sorry, I missorted my hand when they're <laughs> looking for you. No, that's that's a really interesting one. I agree. How would you describe the styles that would contribute to the various approaches to the bidding. For example, do you think of yourself as a more aggressive bidder? Is that why you would have bid the reverse? No, I think a lot of it has to do with the generation that you learned bridge at. There was a time when reverses had to show strength. They were game forcing. They were, and I was of the, I, when I learned bridge, a reverse is one king better than an opening bid. So a lot of that has to do which generation. And a lot of that is aggression comes with the generation also, for sure. What about regional differences? Do you think that that plays a part as well? In certain hands, absolutely it does. I know that where I'm from, we tend to splinter, many splinters, and everything is a splinter. And that is not the norm. It must be a Commonwealth thing because my partner Catherine has taught me all about mini, maxi, mega, and, and, and which I never used to do. And I'm still dipping my toes into it, but I do like it a lot. Yes. And then that, I, I, I attribute that to where I'm from, Western Canada. That's very, very popular. Certain conventions are very regional. Do you have a favorite tournament that you like to play particularly? I like all of the nationals, all of the NABCs. I like them because you are at a bridge level that, you know, you can play against the best in the world. How many sports can you go to where you sit down against world champions on a consistent basis? I like it because of the camaraderie. Most of my friends, I who my very, very good friends live thousands of miles away from me. The only time we see each other is at these tournaments three times a year. So by far, those are my favorite tournaments. What's the strangest, almost unexpected thing that's ever happened to you at a tournament? So before the World Championships in Philadelphia, I was scheduled to go with the ladies, Canadian ladies team, because, because I had won the Canadian ladies championship. But I had also intended to play mixed pairs after that. And I had lined up a partner 18 months in advance of that. And... um Closer to the time of the tournament, he said to me, well, we haven't really practiced 
We don't have a system. I don't think I can play with you, which was okay. I, okay. I, I, I've been down before. It's okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm okay with this. So I was actually quite unhappy. And I talked to a very good friend of mine who we had never played before, never, but we had been friends for a while, Brian Bluebot. And he said, I'll play with you. And I said, will you really? Because he had a client for another part of that tournament. And so we had never sat down before and played and we played. And it was one of those things. We were just on the same wavelength. We've got a, a drop dead stamen option wrong. We got a one club two no trump option wrong. So we played in a, in two no trump as opposed to six or something. And we still wound up with a silver medal. Amazing. A world championship medal. So being dumped and ending up with a silver medal is a really strange thing to happen <laughs> with a partner that I'd never played a hand with before this. <laughs> wow. Did the dumper finish anywhere in the top? Oh, no. No, I don't even think he qualified to the last couple of days because it's a three. It, there was three cuts, I think, or two or three cuts. So it was, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was a really unexpected medal for something where I was feeling really horrible about this event. That is wonderful. That is, that is <laughs> terrific. I can just, I can just imagine how just vindicated that must have, <laughs> that must have felt. Absolutely. What about the funniest thing that's ever happened to you at a tournament or playing bridge? So when we were at the Denver North American Bridge Championships, I sat down at the table and my very good friend offered me a gummy bear. And so I ate this gummy bear and it turned out to be laced with cannabis because at that time, Colorado was one of the few places that had legal marijuana. And so she said to me after I ate it, because I didn't know, I mean, I'm too, too, you know, that there's marijuana in there, which I didn't. Oh gosh. So, I mean, my night was, oh my gosh, I had never played bridge before with cannabis. So I learned about cannabis in Colorado. Yeah. How did it, how did you do? Were you extra? Uh, I can't remember much of it, <laughs> but apparently I managed to follow suit. I think we, it was a qualifying. We qualified to the next day. So no harm, no foul, but I don't think I would have voluntarily done that. <laughs> That's just hilarious. And, and, <laughs> and this friend was a teammate of yours? No, no, no. She was, she just was a very good friend. We just happened to be starting at the same table. <sighs> so she was my opponent. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> and we were starting and then she, she was just taking them out and she was helping herself to one and she offered me one. And it was like a, a gummy, you know, a, a gummy ring or something. And it looked like I, I'm a candy fanatic. So I love candy of all kinds. And the next thing I know, I'm eating a laced uh, gummy. <laughs> Are you still talking to her? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, I, I mean, it was, it was not my fault. I could have, I, I guess I could have asked, but. And I could have tasted it. And, and I, I mean, it tasted funny, but I thought, well, okay, some candy tastes Probably, funny. you know, from the bottom of her cupboard or something. <laughs> <laughs> or some a ACBL old old candy from the oh, Yes, yes, a whole, yeah. an old giveaway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's something that people would be surprised to learn about you? I think people would be really surprised to know that I put a lot, a lot more work and passion 
into bridge than I ever did in my career. And I had a very great career. I was a corporate lawyer for over 20 years. And I, you know, I loved my job, but I didn't have the passion and the, the, the drive and the, the amount of work and the amount of nights that I put into bridge far exceeded what I ever did as a lawyer. What kind of work was that that you put into developing your bridge game? So initially, it is making sure you know all of the suit combinations and, you know, the basics, the reading up all the, the so-called definitive textbooks on how to evaluate your hand, all of the suit combinations later on with partnerships and just doing hours and hours talking about systems, doing a lot of the exercises that are available as a partnership and it's just reading and doing all of the work. I read a lot in my day job, but not with the passion that you have to have to to do bridge. Was there a book that you found particularly useful? Well, all of the the uh, the uh, Mike Lawrence ones. There's a whole series. I started with actually Alfred Scheinwald's Five Weeks to Winning Bridge because we had never had any lessons when we went to the club. So when I was in my early 20s, I started there. And then I learned the Kaplan-Scheinwall system because I wanted to learn weak no trumps. And then there is a whole bunch of declare playbooks. I read Clive Loveford squeezes. So, you know, it was textbook after textbook. And textbooks are hard to read at any point. But when you're doing it on your own time, nobody's paying you. It's hard. But I wanted to get better. You know, Bowles Bridge tips. There's a few like that that are... I still have them. I never gave them away. It sounds like you have a lot of bridge playing friends. Would you say that your social circle is mostly bridge players or? So when you work and you play bridge, there is very little time for anything else. So where are your friends going to come from? I have colleagues, but I tend not to socialize a lot with my colleagues. We will go for the occasional lunch. I have my family. And I, I do spend a lot of time with my daughter, but primarily my friendships come from bridge. So yes, my friends are all bridge players at varying levels. Some are very competitive and some are just, you know, Monday night at the club bridge players. But yes, they all know how to play bridge because I don't have any other hobbies. But my friends will also go to the theater with me, but they are my bridge friends. And when you're together, do you talk about bridge exclusively or a variety of things? Uh, it depends on the friends. I remember being at a wedding where one of the people who were sitting in my table said, what do people who don't play bridge talk about at weddings? <laughs> because really, we spent most of dinner talking, you hold, you hold, what would you do with this? How do you play that? And it truly was, if you weren't a bridge player, you would have felt out of place. Can you tell us a bit about some of your partnerships over the years and what has worked to make those partnerships successful? Work. A lot of work. Our willingness to say I'm wrong when you are. A willingness to be able to stand up for yourself when you have to. But mostly compromise. A lot of compromise. You're not going to play everything you want to unless you're going to pay somebody to play with you. 
And even then, they won't play everything you want to. You have to make sure that, especially if you're not doing that professionally, your time is well spent. Because there is nothing worse than spending a lot of time with a partner, and a lot of it is wasted time. So if I could say it, you just have to work at it and be prepared to compromise big time. Have you had any partnerships where it hasn't worked out? Many, as everybody has. Sometimes you're not meant to be there forever together. And and, and there are those who would prove me wrong. And I, I know that there are those who have been there longer than marriages. I don't know how they do it. I, I, maybe it's my personality. I feel like, as with a marriage, you are going to change over the, the span of your bridge life. And they are going to change. And the odds of you changing in the same way are slim to none. So you have to change in a way that will still make you able to play together and able to do things together. And I don't know how people do that. I just don't. If you have that answer, I'd I'd love to hear it. Well, (laughs) we were curious to know about your experiences with that. I'd be especially interested to know if there have been situations where you have felt ready to move on and your partner absolutely did not feel the same and wanted very much to continue playing. Yes, but you know what? It is like a relationship. When it's time to move on, it's time to move on. And having gone through that in real life, and it was far harder in real life, as somebody who is single in life, you can imagine I've had my share of partners that I've had to move on, whether it was at my choosing or somebody else's. And I found those a lot harder to move on than bridge partnerships. I mean, they they don't even compare. So when you've done that, a bridge partnership is much easier to walk away from. Are these partners that you're running into regularly at the club after you've broken up? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. The, 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 The trick is, I think, is to remain friends. And that is actually easier in bridge than in life because like bridge is, uh, it's like an evolution. So it's an evolution and that's what you have to do. I was wondering if you have a favorite convention. I don't have a favorite convention and I actually am an anti-convention type person. I believe in understandings, not in conventions. That being said, there are certain understandings that I think everybody should have. My favorite is like one something for no Trump is Blackwood, not Aces. Is that a convention or is that an understanding? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want that. So one heart for no Trump is not key card for hearts. It is straight Blackwood. If I want a key card for heart, I'll start with something else. It's those types of understandings that I think are very, very important. And those are a lot more important to me than so-called conventions because I asked people to tell me all of the nuances after one no Trump, two plus statement. And most people don't know what all of the bids are over that. So I don't want to play that convention with you if you can't tell me what one no Trump, two clubs, two hearts, two spades is. Like, if you can't tell me what that is, we shouldn't even be playing stain like anything more than stamen. Let's talk about stamen first. And yet people want to play all of these really esoteric conventions that may or may not come up, and yet they don't know the responses to stamen, which undoubtedly will come up. Well, what about conventions that are a waste of time that you see people playing and you think, oh, I really don't think that's a good idea? I 
just like all conventions that are designed for weaker players to fail. So things like the 10 to 12 no trump, the forcing pass system, things where if you play against really good players, they will crush you. But if you play, no, and it's true. Whereas if you play against the Wednesday night or the Thursday night crowd at your local club, you will undoubtedly succeed because, you know, people don't know how to play against it. So any of those ones where you're just doing it because you have, you, you first use love of having the edge, because let's face it, you play conventions to have the edge because you feel like you will get to the better spot or you feel like it's worth it to hinder your opponents because this, this conventional bid will hinder your opponents. It will allow your partner to do something. There's a reason you play every convention. So if you're doing it so that a weaker player doesn't know how to respond, then yes, you're going to succeed at some levels, but you're certainly not going to succeed where, succeed where I believe it matters. Like if, if all you want to do is play at the club game and do that, then go for it. Play your 10 to 12 no trump. Play your forcing pass system. Someone else told us it's very important to play up. And it, it seems to me that it's related to that because if you play up, you don't get to rely on certain crutches that may work very well in a less good field. Not only crutches, I mean, they're, they're, they are swords. They're designed to, uh, they're designed to destroy and dis- be destructive. I like constructive conventions. And the ones, and I play most of them. The ones that don't play are the ones that just require too much memory. For example, Gazilli, which I am told is a fantastic system. I am told I was ready to learn it, but another friend of mine said, either play all of it or none of it. Don't play pieces of it. And if you wanted to play all of it, it was 17 pages. And for the number of times it came up, it wasn't worth the 17 pages of heading. If I had a partner all the time and, and or three partners and they were all playing it, I would take the time to learn it because it is one that is a good convention, but it just, the, the frequency wasn't worth the, the brain power. What's the best bridge tip or advice that you've ever been given? Have fun. If you're not having fun, why are you there? Isn't that the most important thing? You're taking time away from everything else. You're putting a lot of effort into it. So you must not be doing that because it's torture it's exhilarating when you do something right and 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 you just you see it you succeed that's why you're doing it and that's part of the fun and even if you're disappointed because you will be you will do a lot of bad things that doesn't take away from the fun of okay let's try to do better but just continue to know that you're in this to have fun Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. No problem. It was wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. And that's the show. Thanks to Kismet Fung. This program is produced by Catherine Harris. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or leave us a voice message. The link is in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Kismet says, have fun. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. (laughs) Bye. Bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.